0: This is a podcast from Minute Media.
2: Wild card weekend. Super wild card. Wet and wild card weekend. No Ravens. It hurt. But we have a lot to talk about. We're giving out some Ravens awards. We're talking about a crazy weekend in NFL playoff games. This is Pod Like a Raven. That's okay, right? That's a PG entrance. I I don't think I've gone too far with that description. But what a weekend it was uh, in the NFL. Sad to not have a Ravens playoff game. This is Antonio Barbera. There was a moment over the weekend where I was getting excited about the games to come, and it just sort of hit me that there was no Ravens game. Uh, And it it left a a nice hole in my heart. Um, But some other fun games happened, and we're going to talk all about them. Let me introduce my two co-hosts starting on the West coast Jace Evans Jace how you doing
3: I'm doing okay Antonio like you said um you know it's always sad when the Ravens aren't in the playoffs but I just think the flip side of the coin is I'm not you know dreading a Ravens playoff game uh the pressure that puts on me and my heart and uh my life <laughs> and you, you're, you're not worrying about the matchup for the next round who they might face you're just taking it all in and enjoying it and uh, it was certainly uh it was a weird weekend very eventful uh a few just strange, deeply strange games we'll certainly talk about. and uh, Yeah, I, I think it was an exciting first weekend, uh, the NFL playoffs, and I think most, most excitingly sets up uh, some really good games this uh, weekend into the uh, conference title games.
2: So, um, yeah, I, it, was, it was a fun weekend of watching football for sure. Yeah, the nice thing about favorites winning games is that it then sets up favorites v. favorites uh, in the second round of the NFL playoffs. On the East Coast, Tim Horsey. Tim, how are you doing,
4: man? Uh, We are almost two minutes into this podcast, and neither of you mentioned that even though the Ravens didn't play, the Steelers got embarrassed and the Patriots got embarrassed. This was a fantastic weekend of football. I really enjoyed myself. I don't care. I don't want to hear about all the blowouts, blowouts, blowouts. These blowouts were terrible because two of them featured two of the most despicable franchises (laughs) in the National Football League. So, yeah, overall, man, I'm doing for. For a Ravens fan who doesn't have a team in the playoffs right now, I'm doing pretty pretty well. Uh, and again, like Jay said, really excited for the matchups this weekend.
2: We have a couple of quick Ravens news topics to touch on. We're going to give out our end of year awards, and we are not uh, we're not your average Ravens podcast. So we're not doing offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year, MVP, all those. No, no, no. we have some. Uh, some fun award categories. We are doing MVP, but then some other fun categories, maybe some negative categories because we got to balance ourselves out here. And then we're going to talk about the playoff matchups that were, as well as the playoff matchups that will be this weekend. But let's start with a couple of Ravens news talking points. First of all, the uh, Baltimore Ravens re signed uh, Kevon Seymour for 2022 mere days after the end of their season uh because they saw his performance and thought wow we need to have we need to have him can't let Uh, this get out of the building (laughs) (laughs) point number two and then i'll turn it to my co-hosts is uh the ravens director of college scouting joe hortiz uh is interviewing for gm jobs most specifically the giants gm job uh, unclear as of yet how high he is on the list. Where, you know, whether he's the front runner, whether he's hired or not, we will keep you posted on that. But certainly would be uh, a shame to see a beloved member of the Ravens organization uh, leave the building. But I guess good for you know good for him if he gets promoted to a GM job and then tries to fix the New York Football Giants. But guys, before we get into the awards, thoughts on uh, on the little news from uh, from Ravens World? I was just.
3: Not stunned, but the the Seymour sighting is just one of those okay, I guess <laughs> sort of sightings for me. I saw it, and I I just was like, I guess you need depth, but like he must just be great in the building, and they like him, and he works hard because like nothing he did on the field would suggest the <laughs> guy you absolutely have to lock up. But so I don't know that I fully get it, but I get it, I guess, in the sense where you're just like. You need, literally just need guys, and this guy gets at least what you're trying to do, even if he has, like, you know, a baseline of talent. But, yeah, that was one of those, you're like, it's not going to hurt you in the long run, but it also just kind of leaves you scratching your head and going, sure, I guess, why not? Uh, welcome back, Kevin Seymour. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and not too much to add to it. I obviously didn't think he was great in the regular season by any means, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I guess we'll be around next year, too, by the look of it.
4: Yeah, I mean, the only thing you want to expand on with Seymour with is you assume, if you want to speculate, that a guy like Anthony Averitt is not going to be here next year um, because he probably earned him some money. Now there's talk of Marcus Peters, and Marcus Peters, I think it's, and I apologies, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, he could become a cap casualty this offseason. They can save about $9 million, I believe it is, against the cap by either trading or cutting Peters. So maybe that means Everett stays around, what have you. This is just uh, a simple depth signing. Um, in terms of the Giants news, I mean, and, and I, 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 I should have looked this up beforehand. I believe it's Joe Hortiz is how you say his name. And if I screwed that up, guys, please tell me. A dude who, much like uh, most of the Ravens' front office, is kind of established. He's been there over 20 years in the system, worked his way up, much like DaCosta has. It's part of the reason that the Ravens are so consistent most years uh, in terms of being in the playoff competition uh, year in and year out. Uh, this just comes from the article in the New York Post talking about him You know, since, since 2009 when Hortiz's role expanded. The Ravens have drafted 16 Pro Bowlers and six first-team All-Pros since 2009. The Giants have drafted six Pro Bowlers and two first-team All-Pros despite routinely having better draft <laughs> positions. So, obviously, the New York Post <laughs> taking a couple shots at the Giants No, the,
3: the New York Post?
4: <laughs> yeah, no, they would never. I know, right. Uh, but... He's one of these guys that you kind of hope that he's not going to take DaCosta's job anytime soon. So, if he really wants to expand his position within the NFL, and really take a shot at the GM role, good luck to him. I really hope it works out. I mean, we've we've seen this before. Phil Savage, uh, and then the, uh, George, was it George oh, Kukonis?
3: Uh, yeah, Kukonis, I think, or...
4: Kukonis, yeah. yeah. Both left the Baltimore Ravens to be the GM of the, the Cleveland Browns. Obviously, that didn't work out. You know, we'll just blame Cleveland for that, but... <laughs> in a position where we all were always so worried that EDC was going to leave because Ozzie Newsome kept staying around, kept staying around, kept staying around. EDC was kind of the you know, the next in line, the prodigal son type of person. And he's still relatively young in this GM job, and he's probably going to keep it in a, for a long time in a franchise that is relatively stable and doesn't make too many reactionary moves, especially at these higher-up positions. So if Ortiz really needs to expand, good luck to him. That being said, that team, that Giants team, is in cap hell. They have, they have, to, they don't have a lot of talent for the amount of money they've spent. So it, it would be a hell of a job. But if, if there's somebody that could do it, somebody from the Ravens organization is probably a pretty good
2: bet. A lot of Giants pro sites talking about how great it would be to take somebody from the Ravens organization, and it's one of those things where it's like it's nice to see, or it's nice to remember how fortunate. Uh, we are based on so many different members of the Ravens organization compared to other teams that just can't figure it out year after year after year, uh, and uh, you know a little something to be uh, to be thankful for as as we're in mid in mid January here. Um, we will keep you posted on, on that news, uh, but let's uh, let's get into some Ravens awards, and I wanted to do it now cause I didn't want to get too far away from the end of the regular season. I didn't want to wait until sort of the off season to, to talk about this. We'll have time in the pure off season to maybe look ahead or look at needs and, and draft stuff and, and all that. But I wanted to tie a bow on the regular season for the Ravens now before we got too far away from it. So a couple of awards that we're going to go over and all three of us have our own names. We haven't released uh, this information to, to each other. So it's going to be uh, maybe some overlap, maybe some, uh, hot debate here on pod like a raven but the awards that we're giving out is mvp simply uh most disappointing player oh boy uh exceeded most exceeded expectations and then rookie of the year and then we're going to cap that off with uh, a favorite moment uh tim suggested this and i said i would love to do favorite moment if my memory can go far enough <laughs> back to when the ravens were winning football games and i had happy moments i will try to remember and bring one of those up. But let's start with MVP, and of all the awards, this is the one most likely to have some overlap here. I was between two names, uh, but I'm going to let my co-host go first here. Let's start with uh, with Jace for MVP, and then we'll go around the horn.
3: Well, I was also between two names, Antonio. I think we probably have the same uh, names. The name I landed on for my pick, though, is one, Mark Andrews. I think, uh, you know, it's the simple choice, but... This season, he set the Ravens' single-season record for receptions with 107 and yards with 1,361 when he was a first-team All-Pro. Um, and for me, it kind of came down to the argument Like for Lamar almost was strengthened when he got hurt and the team went into a tailspin. You're like, oh, wow, this guy is so pivotal to this team. But I just thought on a week-to-week basis that uh, especially after, you know, he had a, I don't think, perfect start. We had some qualms, certainly, uh, with Mark Andrews after the Raiders game. Um, but I think he was just so consistent week to week. And he was, especially once Lamar went down, he was, he was just there. And he stepped up in a big way to make plays for, you know, Tyler Huntley, Josh Johnson. He had a great game uh, in that one. Um, and so he was just so good week to week um, that I think you have to give it to him. I should just say, too, for me, uh, this is obviously, um, for this season, Mark Andrews MVP, but uh, Justin Tucker is also the MVP in perpetuity because uh, he's the GOAT uh, when it comes to kickers. Uh, but it's not exciting to give your kicker your MVP, but he led the NFL in a field goal percentage this year, which is actually somehow the first time he's done that, even though he's the all-time leader in uh, hit 35 of his 37 field goals and had a Math record is
4: hard. <laughs> and
3: he had a record breaking 66 yard field goal to win a game. So, you know, Justin Tucker could always win this award because he's the best at what he does in the league uh, and out of his position, probably in league history, but for, you know, position players and stuff, Mark Andrews is my pick.
4: Yeah. I mean, I wanted to try and be different because that's kind of the point here. Um, But I don't even think there's a case for Lamar Jackson. Just the fact that he missed so many games at the end. um, Some of the news coming out that, you know, I wanted to play. They shut me down. It was a bone bruise. All this stuff was a little disappointing, Um, you know, just from an overall point of view, not necessarily being angry at anybody for it. But uh, yeah, it's Mark Andrews. I mean, sure. You can put Justin Tucker in there too. As Jace (laughs) mentions so eloquently, he's, the MVP in perpetuity for the Baltimore Ravens. But Mark Andrews, outside of everything that Jay said, um, he proved, and, I, you know, the whole Ravens PR spin, he's the best tight end in the NFL, which, you know, he won first-team All-Pro, so technically he was this year. But I think what he showed, and I, we've mentioned this before, is that it is no lo- he is no longer in the second group or the 1A group. He is in the one group. And I believe it's, you know, it's Kelsey who's, on the other side of the mountain, but still up there. It's Kittle and it's him. I think, And I think 1A starts with like a Dale, Darren Waller type for the Raiders. But I think Mark Andrews solidly proved that he is among the, if not the best tight end in the National Football League this year. Uh, came up in big moments when he was the only guy that was doing anything on the offense. He did it. And shout out to EDC again, Eric DaCosta, for locking him up early. Can you imagine what we'd have to pay him this offseason compared to last offseason when he signed his new, I believe it was a four-year deal. So credit all around, this one's easy. It's Mark Andrews, and I I really don't see a case for anybody else.
2: Yeah, uh, I'll add, I'll agree with Andrews, and the only thing I'll add is that we were an offense about halfway through the season that had a bad running game, and everybody knew he was the target that needed to be stopped in terms of defensive perspectives, and he still made plays and still produced throughout the season when he was like, oh, why don't you just double-team double, double team Andrews? But he would still get through it, still make plays. He's not this, like, super, super athlete. He doesn't run away from people. Uh, he doesn't, like, n- knock people off the line at five yards and then is open. He just does everything really, really well and put it all together and played 17 games, which I think if you had asked the three of us at the start of the season, what were the odds of Andrews Playing every game of a longer season with the added game, I don't think any of us would have said he plays all 17, uh, and he did, and he produced. So uh, he's MVP for me. Um, next up is most disappointing. Before I get to uh, I get to this because we'll have a little fake suspense here for the listeners. Submit your picks to us, please. Let us know uh, who you I mean who you agree with is easy, but who you disagree with, yell at us uh, about players. We missed or should have talked about on you know on Twitter. Email us. We'll we'll bring it up next episode and see uh, see who maybe made some compelling some compelling cases. And with that, let's go to most disappointing. Um, A lot of let's have Tim here. start. <laughs> let's, let's have Tim start this one and then we'll go back the other way.
4: Yeah. So. I think there's so many people to choose from here. Obviously <laughs>
2: we have so many people to thank for this category,
4: which is the problem. Um, you know, we can get the offensive line in general out of the way. I thought Alejandro Villanueva was an unmitigated disaster as a starting player, even on his more comfortable left side. And we had the right side in week one where he's part of the, basically one of the main reasons they lost that football game because he couldn't do anything against Max Crosby. Um, so I would put the offensive line as a whole, but Villanueva is the uh, the shining star in that category, if that's what you want to say. It, it's hard to try and pick anybody that was injured, obviously, because you know it's it, it's disappointing, sure, but there's not a ton you can do about that. I will caveat that with saying a man who we thought was such a good signing two years ago gets re-signed and then just was supposed to come back at multiple points during the season and just never did was Derek Wolfe, just never showed up. And, you know, I, I, I can't necessarily blame him for it. I'm sure he wanted to play, but that not having that defensive line rotation guy, especially with the likes of Calais Campbell, who balled out again, but is, you know, very, very old in terms of NFL uh, standards here. That one was one of my big disappointments. But then the two that I want to point out here, too, and, um, you know, admittedly, one of them is is shortened by injury, I know. It might be a bit of a surprise, but it did kind of pop into my head. Um, We'll start with him. It's Marlon Humphrey. I think Marlon Humphrey was a defensive player of the year candidate last year, gets the big deal. And everybody loves Marlon's personality on Twitter. We're not even going to get into the old NFT thing and his <laughs> new place in New York City that he just bought and all this stuff. I think he's a great character. He's clearly a guy that they want as a cornerstone of this franchise. And I'm not saying I'm worried about the future of Marlon Humphrey, but for a guy who you know was nicknamed Fruit Punch for all the forced fumbles, he still played 12 games this year. He had one forced fumble and one interception. And yeah, you can say they're not throwing it to him that much, but I thought even when they did... Um, You know, you think of the first Bengals game, Jamar Chase made him look like Kevon Seymour uh, and absolutely torched him. No offense, Kevon. That was gratuitous. I apologize. (laughs) I think Marlon Humphrey's standards dropped uh, significantly. And you talk about a guy that got paid in the offseason, ninety eight million dollars and compared to like a guy like Mark Andrews, who also got paid. Marlon was obviously before that, yeah, because I got mid season, I think he got that new deal. Whatever. They both got paid recently. One of them elevated their game because of it, and one of them, I think, significantly dipped off. And then the other one for me, which I've seen, you know, some other people doing awards and stuff, and you know, kind of trying to let's recognize him. Let's 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 really um, you know, give this guy a ton of credit for the step up he made. And to a point I would agree with that, but it's Hollywood Brown. I think Hollywood Brown's drop-off in the second half of the year was nothing short of horrific. I mean, you just pull up the game log here. He didn't have 100, he didn't have 100 yards receiving past uh, the Minnesota game, which was week nine. After that, it's 37, 51, 55, 41, 43, 44, 28, and 27. It was never good enough. We talked about the Pittsburgh game with the big drops and kind of reverting back to the I'm going to run out of bounds three yards short, even though the first down is right there. Um, you know, credit to him, he came out and said he wasn't good enough in the second half of the season. But from what we saw to start the year, outside of the Detroit game where he almost lost in that game by dropping three touchdowns, what we saw from the beginning, it looked like progress. It looked like, all right, maybe this guy's gonna be a dude for the Ravens. And now, for me, it's a that guy's not making it past the rookie deal. If if if, if I have to sign him to some massive contract, I just don't think it happens. And that was sad, uh, seeing as, you know, again, his, his partner in crime in the receiving game, Mark Andrews, again, elevates his game, um, especially towards the end of the year when he was needed because the team was so depleted. Hollywood went the complete opposite way.
3: Uh, your Marlon one, I actually had jotted him down as well, Tim, as a uh, candidate for me, uh, especially you, you mentioned that forced fumble number. He had eight last year, led the NFL, and to only have one this year, that's, you know, he's never been a high interception guy, but that was. I definitely think that was a fall off and he got hurt, but not, not that early, you know, it was kind Played of late. 12 games. Yeah. Played it 12 was games. pretty late yeah. the season when he got hurt. So, um, the two leading candidates I actually picked, uh, kind of, uh, I'll give him a one a one B. I kind of, uh, I'm considering this, uh, failed, um, free agent side. And, uh, uh you mentioned him also, Tim, Alejandro Villanueva and then Sammy Watkins. Um, I, you know, Villanueva, I think, is pretty obvious, and, uh, you know, I didn't, I don't know that I had the highest expectations for him entering the season, but how cooked he was was disappointing, and, you know, he was available pretty much every game, he tried his best, so I'm not, like, going to pile on him too much, but I think, you know, he can't, he certainly can't be... Well, he can't be the answer to what the Ravens tackle problems or questions, you know, moving forward next season. If he's if he's one of your two starters, you're you're in a tough place in 2022. And then with Watkins, you know, he had some big catches. He had the catch in the Detroit that sets up Tucker's epic game winner. He has the catch that basically um, sets up a nice catch from Tyler Huntley that sets up the winner in Chicago. But you look at his numbers and he had some injuries and stuff. But after the season, it's 27 catches, 394 yards, and one touchdown. It's just like the classic yeah. veteran wide receiver, the Ravens bring in, who doesn't do anything compared to what he once was. And it's just disappointing. And we thought, like, you know, not that I, I think I had the greatest expectations for Sammy Watkins, but you thought, like, um, you know, maybe he could do something in, to help the passing game. And outside of like two big plays, which, admittedly, directly led to two Ravens wins, so that's nice. But I mean, twenty-seven catches—that is just not—that is not much production. Um, not the. So those are my two leading candidates. I think there's the two I settled on. I have a hot take answer. And the hot take most disappointing answer is Lamar Jackson. Um, I know he was my runner-up for MVP, um, but I think two the things— bar,
2: The bar's so high for Lamar I, Jackson. I do
3: think two things could be true at once. I think he is, was the runner-up for MVP for this team this season. And before he—I mean, just the entire way his second half of the season played out was just so disappointing from like a career development perspective. You know, It, it seemed like he turned such a corner, and I was so excited, and every week was like— Oh man, he's leading us back from these comebacks. Look how awesome it is. Deep throws. He was at one point he was leading the NFL in yards per completion, um, and then it just it it all kind of fell apart, and then he got hurt. So it was just such a sad end to the season, and I think leaves so many questions kind of going forward.
4: I think the only reason you say hot take answer, Jace, is that they the people who think Lamar Jackson walks on water, you know, and and refuse to criticize him. And we are allowed to do that as a fan base. Now the injury, look, you can't really control it. He said he wanted to play. The doctors didn't let him play, whatever. They had their be- his best interests at it. Whatever. It's fu- It's annoying, but it's fine. But some of the stuff with Lamar too, you know, part of the reason they were always having to do these miraculous comebacks is because he didn't play well to start games. Him and the team were slow getting out of the blocks, and then they had to do these miraculous, you know, game-saving plays and stuff. And that's great, and it's adrenaline pumping, and it gave us something to talk about here on the show. But then those flaws got, you know, sh- showed like, shined. Big light was shining on those flaws, I should say, um, after the, the magic kind of ran out, I guess. The other thing, too, with Lamar, the turnovers are such a problem. Like, the... The bad interceptions, it's not, when he throws a pick, it is almost always an egregious, egregious interception. One of those, what the hell were you thinking type of plays? And that's worrisome. That's worrisome for a guy that I don't think, and yeah, here, I'm going to pile on to the Jace hot take thing. I don't think Lamar Jackson is truly ever going to be in that 1A group of guys that I talked about with, you know, Mark Andrews in the tight end position. Lamar's not going to be that guy. Do you think? Do I think we can win a Super Bowl with him? Yes. I still think he is in that category. You build around him. He's got enough of that moxie that I love. Yeah, I think you can win a Super Bowl with him. But is he ever going to be in the Rodgers-Mahomes group? No, I don't think so. And I think this year, sadly, really, really cements that.
2: It was a year he was supposed to take a leap, right? I mean, the, the the passing looked better, the arm angle looked better, the bad habits that he had of dropping the elbow, you know, were fixed in the off season. And this was the year where the passing was going to catch up to the running, and it didn't really didn't really happen for a variety of reasons. Boy, there are a lot of names to because I you guys covered some of the players I had, and yet not all the players that that I was going to go over. So I have a few extra. Names to include Villanueva is a good one. Hollywood Brown is a good one. Humphrey's a good one. The Watkins one. As you were talking about that, we have some over under bet that we made at the start of the season, and I don't I don't remember who it involved. I gotta look back, so I'm gonna look back at that episode and figure figure out what it was. whatever we said, (laughs) it was some like hot debate. And I don't remember what the number of yards were, but a lot of that is under, and I'll find it and figure out what the heck it was. Because, yes, he had some nice plays, like the Lions catch, where he didn't go out of bounds. But he also had a lot of plays that uh, left stuff to be desired. So yeah, I, I remember the Chiefs, like websites in the off season that were sort and like early start of the season that were like upset because they let Watkins go without trying to, like, replace him, and they were enraged that, like, McColl Hardman wouldn't be able to be that dude. And McColl Hardman is so much better (laughs) than Sammy Watkins, (laughs) and it's frustrating that that was, like, a Chiefs consideration that the other guys, like, the Pringle, Hardman, uh, and Robinson, is that, like, the third receiver that they had? Like, they were concerned that none of them were going to be able to take the Sammy Watkins role, which, oh, boy, we, we saw how that went this season. And yet, I have two entirely different players uh, who were my top two most disappointing. And the runner-up is Tyson Williams. And not, I mean, it's it's not his fault, and it is his fault because of the things (laughs) that we talked about a few weeks ago. But week one of the season, he had nine carries and averaged seven yards a pop. And week two, he had 13 carries and averaged six yards a pop. After that, he then had five carries, four carries, two carries, and then was basically just out of the rotation entirely. Uh, And it's, you know, most disappointing in that he looked like he may have been the solution to our depleted running back room. A guy with speed, power, burst, could break tackles... And then apparently wasn't doing anything else right of what it means to be an NFL running back. And that's what Harbaugh sort of gave hints and clues to as the season went along to if you're not picking up protection, if you don't run the right routes, you can't play. And that's exactly what happened to him. And he missed a bunch of games and just didn't factor until I think the last game against the Steelers when all of a sudden (laughs) he was back on for a couple of carries and looked good again. So disappointing in the sense that this was a young player with an opportunity one of the biggest opportunities he could have had and by not doing the you know annoying football guy without doing the little stuff he wasn't able to stay on the field and and I think he missed an opportunity with all those running back coming back next season but my leader uh, of this and I I am kind of surprised that neither of you brought this player up uh, it's Patrick Queen uh, is my most disappointing player He was a year two guy who had done some nice things as a rookie, but had room to improve. He wasn't that good as a rookie because he only had those few college games. He wasn't a four year college starter. Just wait until year two when he gets to do all the studying, uh, is in the building. There was the COVID talk, you know, he wasn't in the building in the facility a lot. So he wasn't able to pick as much stuff up as he would have. Otherwise what wait until, you know, year two for him, uh, led the team in tackles, and yet, you know, he had some flashes, cutting into the backfield, uh, catching guys uh, on the edge, uh, and yet my memory of him this season is missing tackles, losing guys in space, getting cleared out of the way by offensive linemen, and playing fewer and fewer snaps as the season went along. And he's a first-round pick. He, was, he looked like a can't-miss first-round pick stay one starter and he regressed from one year to the next had fewer tackles in more games this year than than he did as a rookie had fewer sacks in more games had fewer forced fumbles everything is down with an extra game for him and i don't think the organization is convinced that he's going to be the starting middle linebacker for this team moving forward and that's that's disappointing <laughs>
4: for me yeah I think the biggest thing with Queen, because I'm glad somebody said him, because I know listeners are going to be shouting into the void. Like, (laughs) why in the world? And we saved him for the very last guy. Um, With Queen, the only reason I didn't put him up there is, one, I assumed one of you was going to pick him. And two, (laughs) I think he progressed as a weak side linebacker enough until that final week 17 game, where it just became clear that he over-pursues, he plays too fast, and because of that, he can't make tackles. He, he runs way too quickly. The guy makes any sort of cutback move. Queen's too small and doesn't want to bring him down. I mean, it, you know, to, to go into the Patreon-level Podlick or Raven text group again, Jason and I, the amount of times we mentioned Nakobe Dean kind of just tells you <laughs> what we think about Patrick Queen now. And, and Antonio, you are dead right. Me caveating it with, well, he switched to a weak side linebacker and he seemed to improve a little bit there. It's not good enough for a first round pick that's supposed to be the leader of the defense. It's just not. The fact that he still doesn't have the green dot and Chuck Clark does kind of tells you something from a defensive point of view. I do just want to do one quick one because I know this is probably the biggest category because, you know, the season was just such a tragic failure. Um, When you mention Tyson Williams, a guy came into my head. Because Tyson Williams was your preseason hype boy. And here is in my PSA again. Stop hyping people up in the preseason. Let's just talk about this guy. 14 games uh, played. Zero games started. Targeted. Targeted. This is a wide receiver. 20 times in 14 games. With 16 receptions. 202 yards across 14 games. Zero touchdowns. Uh, Yeah, averaging about 14.4 yards per game. Ladies and gentlemen, that is James Prochet. Do you remember the talk about James Prochet in in the offseason? Look at this guy. He's really improved. Man, he might be fighting Hollywood and and rookie Rashad Bateman. Oh, Bateman gets hurt. Prochet is going to be the guy to step up. He might be better over Sammy Watkins. Look at the catches he's making over Marlon Humphrey. Did you see what the Ravens social media team posted about him mossing Humphrey in training camp? Stop it. Stop. The next time we do this and we're limited on stuff to talk about, I'm telling the both of you right now, if Antonio writes in the rundown, training camp impressions, this guy's really shining. I'm muting my microphone and letting you guys do it (laughs) because there's just, it's just, it's ridiculous. I'm done talking about it from now on that. I wouldn't call it a disappointment for, for me necessarily because I never really thought anything of it, but the fan base was so enraptured by what he was doing in games that didn't matter and not even games that didn't matter he didn't even light up preseason <laughs> it was practices that didn't really matter and people got all excited about that so I'm just telling you now I know we're going to be craving football we're going to be salivating wanting any little morsel so we can consume once August comes and all we need is the NFL I want my Sundays back I'm done apple picking and sh- like that and all I want to do is watch football on the couch and I'm desperate 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 to find anything Stop with the preseason hype because it's just, it never, ever works out. And for that reason, we should probably put Prochet on this list. Uh,
2: but Tim, the hours, all the hours needed to, it, the June-July hours we have to fill. <laughs> what, what else can we do besides look at Instagram videos of James Prochet catching footballs off the jugs machine? Yeah, it's a great name to to tack on. Uh, it was the it, the perfect segue into my exceeded expectations uh, selection, which I'll, I'll go first for this one because... I had a couple of names to consider. Uh, I almost put Rashad Bateman here just because of... I, I had the fear that once he got hurt in August that it was a lost season for another rookie wide receiver, and it wasn't. He played 12 games and did like very well to like you know above average in those games. But my winner for this, in the summer of Prochet, which I wrote in my notes here, is Devin DuVernay, who carved out a role for himself. You're a mid-level draft pick. Uh you better carve out a role for yourself and excel in it, and that is exactly what he did. All-pro. We have not talked about this I think nearly enough. <laughs> All-pro this year first team as a punt returner in the NFL, led the league in punt return average, did not return punts in college and just found this new opportunity for him and absolutely took it. Um and is one of our three All-Pros, and it's Devin DuVernay, exceeded all my expectations of of what he could be besides a sixth receiving option on this team. So props to DuVernay uh, and a unique—I don't want him to become a random raven that has that unique trait of being <laughs> on a one-time All-Pro selection. So hopefully he turns that into a more and more years of success here. But props to him. First team All-Pro. It's awesome.
3: He was actually my number one pick as well, Antonio, uh, for similar reasons. I mean, uh, for, yeah, first-team All-Pro returner. It's incredible. Uh, I did look this up, and it kind of made me a little depressed. Uh he was third on the team in receiving touchdowns. I don't know if you all looked up the number of receiving touchdowns, uh, but it's uh two, he had two touchdowns and that put him third on the team for receiving touchdowns. So that's not ideal, but, uh, yeah, I think for his work in special teams, he, he was my number one choice, uh, for exceeding expectations. Certainly. Uh, I did jot down two other names that actually one I just, just did. Um, because our, our conversation about Tyson Williams, made me think of it. Um, Devonta Freeman. I was, you know, pleasantly surprised by what he was able to do uh, behind a mostly bad offensive line. And, um, you know, I know they love Justice Hill for special teams, but I would yeah. at least consider Freeman for that third running back role uh, next season. I thought I thought he showed he had some good runs in the run game. He, he you know, he caught like 34 passes. Uh, out of the backfield, um, which is something the Ravens kind of need from their running backs. It's uncertain if JK Dobbins has learned how to catch. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, wouldn't hate bringing, uh, Freeman back next year. I think he, he performed admirably in a certainly less than ideal situation, kind of, you know, learning everything on the fly and, uh, um, adjusting to injuries and stuff. Um, so I was impressed with him. Certainly when they brought him in, I wasn't expecting high things, but, uh, I was impressed with him. And then just on the defensive side, I, you know, maybe this is more, I don't know if he truly deserves this, but more just because maybe I, you know, I guess exceeds my own personal expectations. Uh, Cause I don't think about him too much. But Ty's Bowser, I thought had a good year. He led the team with seven sacks. Um, and uh, you know, uh, I had some standout games, some big plays and big moments of some of the Ravens uh, more important wins. And it, you know, it's a really big shame his injury in the literal final game of the season. Hopefully, He's able to kind of come back at some point, hopefully at the start of next season, but we'll, we'll see. But um, yeah, I mean, he, he just, I thought on a defense that struggled a lot, he played every game and provided a consistent baseline of competent play, which I don't think you can say for about every other position on the Ravens uh, defense. So Ty Spouser for me for defense.
4: Tyus Bowser is my pick as well. I, I was going to go through some other candidates, but this is a, exactly who I think exceeded expectations, you know, rewarded with the deal um, in the offseason. So you knew the organization believed in him. And for me, Jace, I mean, you've nailed everything. I don't know if he should be the guy leading your team in sacks. I think that has something to do more with who else is there. And, you know, you hope that's kind of a daffy away as we go away, uh, obviously finishing with five sacks as a rookie. Uh, as you mentioned, Bowser was seven. But for me, it's Jarrett Johnson. He reminds me of Jarrett Johnson. On the edge, sets the edge, consistent, you-know-what-you're-going-to-get, lunch-pail type of guy. For a guy who drafted as a second-round pick out of Houston, and we all, I mean, I immediately went because I'm a huge nerd. Bowser, that's awesome. I want that guy <laughs> to be a good player. This is a this is incredible. Um, didn't really show it as the pass-rushing specialist that he was supposed to be, but has developed into something way more well-rounded they clearly trust him like you said he started every seven uh, all 17 games and for me it's it's the consistency thing was so big um my other two nominees um we talked about him so much here on the on pod like a raven you can go back and listen to the better days when we were actually winning football games um but tyler huntley i think has you know it got way too much hype and then that immediately <laughs> settled down because he found his medium but you know what you know what his level is backup quarterback for this team that, you know, was a question beforehand. That's fine. Lock that up for me. Um, I, I, I liked Huntley. And then I mentioned him earlier in the program, but I know this is a guy that is, he was easy to pick on because he had some really bad games, especially two years ago. He wasn't incredible, but for a guy that was supposed to be the fourth corner on this team, end up being the number one corner by the end of the year, targeted a league high or not a league high, excuse me, a team high 101 times in 14 starts. It's Anthony Averitt. I think Anthony Averitt, he led the team in interceptions. Again, that probably says more about the Ravens' defense than it does Averitt. <laughs> I thought he ended up being a reliable starter who most likely is going to get decent free agent money from somebody else. Or, you know, if the Ravens cut Peters and want to bring him back, I would, I'll would. i put it this way. The, the easiest way I can say it, and we've talked about Averitt a lot here, beginning of the season, if you tell me, oh, you know, Peters, they have to cut him because of a cap number. He's getting up there in age, although I think still think he's only like 29. Um, if they're going to cut Peters and Averett's going to be the number two with Humphrey, I would burn my apartment down. Like, I'd be so incredibly furious. Now, I'd be like, you know what? I'm fine with that. They need some depth behind it. Tavon Young in the slot. Marlon Humphrey needs back, come back fully healthy. But I don't mind if Red is a number two. And that's based on the
2: expectations that he exceeded for me this season. How about Rookie of the Year, Tim? Let's start with you with that category.
4: Yeah, so I don't think you can pick Bateman, um, and I'm sure somebody will give their flowers to Adafe Owe, so I'll leave that for one of you two. And I want to point to a guy who finished, insane to me, third on the team in combined tackles. He finished tied for fourth in solo tackles. He played all 17 games, ended up starting 11 games, and a guy who was a ridiculed draft pick when the Ravens selected him. But throughout the year, Wink Martindale consistently praised him. And the guy the guy is going to be able to play in this league, and I hopefully for the Ravens for a while. It's Brandon Stevens. I think Brandon Stevens was immense for this team. And I, I use that with a bit of hyperbole because it was just so – there was just nothing back there by the end, and he was one of the only available bodies left. But for a guy that's a converted – Running back out of UCLA, you know the story. He played corner in college, and the Ravens used him as a safety. Brand new position for him at the highest possible level. The fact that they relied on him so much, and he started to come up towards the end of the year and play more significant role and make some more significant plays, especially. Uh, In the Rams game, I thought he was good. I think he was pretty good against the Steelers as well. Uh, Brandon Stevens, for me, maybe a little bit of a, you know, it's not going to be, it can't be away for me. Um, I know I would desperately want it to be Ben Cleveland, but I think there's questions about if he's an NFL starter based on some of, you know, how sloppy he kind of was and pass protection and maybe not using his body the way he should um, seeing that he, you know, is a literal mountain of a man. <laughs> um, so I couldn't pick him even though I wanted to, but for me, it's, it's Brandon Stevens. I think, I think that guy um, proved that Sort of in a Tyus Bowser way, um, even though Bowser didn't really come off. It didn't really shine as a rookie. And, like, actually there was questions about him until two seasons ago, whether he was going to be a, f- a future player for this team. I think Brandon Stevens has shown that he can be, at worst, a rotational starter for the Ravens, and at best, a high-caliber player. Just got to catch some, some of those interceptions. Just <laughs> a few of those. Then we'd be talking, like, you know, in the ascendancy. Uh, but, yeah, Brandon Stevens for me.
3: This was kind of a hard one uh for me um just because you know unlike most years we've had some recent years where the ravens have had like you know 10 12 rookies but they're not a ton of rookies this year uh, on this team but uh i actually disagree with you tim i think you can choose rashad bateman and he is my rookie of the year um and the reason i went with him for me came down to between him and the two uh the other first round pick at Oway. Um, for me, Owe had obviously clear moments of brilliance. Um, you know, the Chiefs, the strip, the strip and recovery against the Chiefs comes to mind. He had some really good, nice plays. Um, and I think you see, see the potential. Um, but I think the consistency just wasn't there for me, uh, on a week to week basis. And he got hurt late, which uh, is a bummer, but, um, Uh, but it was nice to see the five sacks, especially coming, you know, coming off his season where he had none sacks in college. And that was obviously a big talking point for him entering the draft, but I think you do see the potential, but I think it is clear he's still a work in progress. But the reason I went with Bateman, um, is because I think, you know, the numbers don't jump off the page. He has 46 catches, 515 yards and a touchdown. But for me, he's like, so obviously just an NFL caliber player. Uh, and I think a type of receiver that the Ravens, you know, you could argue they really kind of maybe haven't had since Steve Smith Sr., maybe. <laughs> like, just a, a guy who just makes his catches, converts first downs. Uh, you know, 29 of Bateman's 46 catches were first downs. And just for comparison, uh, we mentioned our disappointing uh, Hollywood Brown, Um had 41 of his 91 catches uh, for first down. So obviously, you know, percentage-wise, Bateman had way more. And I think, too, I was just impressed with – he. he um, I, I, I was worried. I think you mentioned it, Antonio. When he got hurt, I was worried that the season was going to be kind of a complete wash uh, from Bateman. Um, but I was impressed he was able to step in and, and have some of these big catches – uh now the ravens had some just absolutely baffling games where they didn't throw to him Uh, he was targeted once against the steelers in the first game and twice against the packers that made no sense he was healthy for both of those games but um i think on the whole i was just impressed with he he was kind of able to overcome this injury and kind of hit the ground uh running and able to show what he would could do even if it was in a limited uh, twelve-game sample size. So I'm excited. Hopefully a healthy off season, and we'll see. You know what he can really do next season when you know I you imagine maybe a guy like Sammy Watkins perhaps isn't around, and that's more maybe just more balls that can go uh, Bateman's way. Um, so he wins my Rookie of the Year. I think just kind of for a consistency and just kind of he 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 immediately like day one from he stepped on the field, seemed like an obvious NFL kind of starting caliber receiver to me.
2: If a Sammy Watkins leaves the facility, does he make a sound? Uh, <laughs> uh, does anybody hear it? I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I, I had Rashad Bateman in my sort of like exceeded expectations. I He's like second place in a lot of these categories for me. <laughs> um, the Brandon Stevens thing, I like him. I think he's on the rise. I think it's amazing that they've like... Changed him into this different player. But tackles for me for a defensive back means that receivers caught passes and he then had to tackle them after the fact. He only had four pass deflections and 78 tackles. So I'm like slightly concerned about where these tackles happen on the field. But he had a, I agree that he had a pretty good season and got better as it went along. I, I'd put him like on the podium for rookie of the year, um, but not quite number one. I'm putting no way. Uh, I'm, I'm fighting you both. Uh, he had five sacks, which was five more than he had in college. He won us a game single-handedly. Uh, I mean, I, I obviously things happened before that, but were it not for this the fumble that he forced against the Chiefs, Ravens lose that game, and even early in the season, it's a different narrative of what this team is about. Uh, he had three forced fumbles, and I think the production would have been better without the injury i think he hit a i think he hit a rookie wall at you know, three quarters of the way through this season going from what you did 12 games in college like maybe a thirteen. yeah probably he played tw- like yeah.
3: five or six last year because of the pandemic short and kind of big 10 season
2: right so i i think he very clearly hit a wall the injury limited his effectiveness over the last four games but as a season award i still think as a rookie coming in at a position of need uh, having five sacks, three force fumbles. He's he's the guy for me. And, and I hope he can dare to dream double that number <laughs> next season. I, I will uh, say, and, uh, uh, the th- one thing I like with him, Antonio,
3: is we mentioned like Cameron Hayward a few weeks ago and how he plays mean. Owe actually does seem like the guy who plays the meanest on the team. He now... He probably needs to rate it in a little bit. He took multiple, I believe, roughing the passer penalties this fall, and blew—I forget what—he blew up some quarterback. Was it Burrow that he definitely should have been flagged on, <laughs> um, and didn't. So, but I like that kind of aggressive edge to him, and yeah, I I completely agree. The idea that he can build off of. Uh, that is so exciting because he does have all the tools and you can see the potential for a double digit sack guy. And I hope, I hope, I hope he makes the
2: year two leap. <laughs> multiple roughing the passer penalties. Welcome to Baltimore. <laughs> he's a, yeah. he's a Baltimore Raven. Thrift. The real Matt Judon replacement. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Last category to go over is best moment. And I, I don't know. I think there's two. I'd be curious to see what what else you guys have. I'll go quickly with this one. And it's, uh, oh boy, between these two. It's beating the Chiefs. I'm going to say it's beating the Chiefs because we were an 0-1 team. We had lost the game that we thought we were going to win. We had Kansas City Week 2. It was very much an oh no, here we go, 0-2, and the season is over before it got started. And yet, it was an awesome come from behind when they were down by, I believe, 11 points twice in that game. They come all the way back. Lamar Jackson's doing fun stuff. Uh, we have that, that forced fumble by Owe, where at the time we thought, like, hey, here he is. He's arrived, like the answer to the Ravens' pass rush problems and, and turnover making has arrived. And it was a moment, I mean, it's a whole game, but it's a moment that at the time, and maybe moving forward, seemed... Pivotal to the Ravens organization that this Chiefs team was not going to be our quote unquote kryptonite, which I think was a Marlon Humphrey uh, word used at some point. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong on that, but he absolutely spoke about the fact that that was the team that they couldn't beat, they couldn't get over. And it proves that we could beat them. 36 35 win. And at the time it was, well, now we know if this team matches up with Baltimore in the playoffs, we've seen them beat them, we have the formula. It can be done, uh, but unfortunately the rest of the season did, did not go to where we could have that matchup. But I now believe in other seasons in the future that Lamar Jackson can lead a team and be the Chiefs, which is going to be an issue for the next five to ten years. Yeah, yeah. I'll
4: just go quickly. Um, I have two, um, and they are both, in, you know, they're pretty personal, I would say. One is the obvious. It's the other moment, uh, I think, that, that Antonio is referencing, and it's the – the 66 yard field goal against the lions that had no business going in and still goes in. And I was watching with some friends and just the pure kind of ecstasy that you, that you got from that moment of thank God we didn't lose to the lions and Holy crap. That was awesome. 66 yard, you know, absolute bomb from the greatest kicker of all time. Uh, And then, you know, not to get sentimental here on pod, like a Raven, but it's the Colts game. We got to watch the three of us got to watch the Colts game together um, you know, we obviously with Jace being in L.A. with this little thing called COVID, um, you know, we haven't really been able to get together uh, that, that often to watch games. And that was a cool moment where we would all kind of hang out. And then it went from, you know, dread of at least we're hanging out, guys. This is fun. You know, maybe <laughs> we'll just talk and mute the TV because I'm tired of listening to Brian Greasy and Louis Riddick over and over and over again. And then the, the Ravens did what they did the entire beginning of the season. They mounted a furious comeback, won the game. We all got to celebrate that one together. So those are those are my two outside of the Chiefs.
3: Yeah, the, the Colts, that was my number one was the Colts win uh, for similar reasons you said. I mean, the game itself was surreal. They, you know, they, they come back. I forget what the deficit was, that it was. They were down like 19 to 3 at one point, I think. Um, but, uh, you know, they um, have to, they hit two the only two two-point conversions it turns out that they ended up hitting all season and uh to get both of those and then win it over time and they were just rolling and it was like a surreal viewing experience and yeah to watch it with you all it was just uh really fun um and a, a really good time and i still can't believe they won that game um i think as you said sort of antonio i think the, Col- the chiefs win probably is bigger long term and the going for it on fourth down to seal the game was fun um at midfield there um but for me it is the colt's win just for how how insane it was and getting to watch it with you all and stuff and uh yeah, I think they won what like three times after that. So like, yeah, it was it was kind of the high water mark too uh, of the season, uh, certainly. So um, yeah, it, it, for me that 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 I th- would think win can't be topped. And on Monday Night Football too, it's always cool and the stadium was rocking. And it was just it was just a really fun. The blocked field goal, so many weird moments that had to. Go exactly right and did. It seemed like they were a charm tube and then it did all turned against them. But yeah, so for that, I think that makes the Colts win by my, my favorite. Getting to watch it with everyone was well, was really
2: fun. Yeah, a great a great other moment to to bring up. And that's gonna do it. Those are our awards. Please, please let us know how wrong we were <laughs> and uh, and which players we missed, and we'll we'll maybe go over a few clips uh, that you guys submit next week. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens, 8-9 in reality, 17-0 uh, and 0 in our hearts, <laughs> uh, and we'll, and we'll look, forward, look forward to more performances and, and zero uh, disappointing players in 2022. But with that now, let's turn to the rest of the NFL, where they, some teams at least, were still playing football games. <laughs> and we're going to start with the best game to talk about, I think, and it's Raiders-Bengals. Uh, and I'm gonna say a couple things, and then you guys please just touch on which games maybe you watched. What, what was your favorite moment? Maybe tell if we can give Tim a few minutes to talk about that Bills-Pats game and just uh, just have fun with it. But for Bengals-Raiders, the talking point of this game, Bengals win 26-19, has been the talking point is, has been the officiating, and I I have the hot the spiciest take. I think I if I read Jace's tweets over the weekend, effectively. Uh, I think you may agree with me on this, Jace, but for those of you who don't know, somehow, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals threw a touchdown pass to make the score 20-6 to on a Joe Burrow rollout, where as he is about to step out of bounds, he throws a ball into the back of the end zone that's completed for a touchdown, but a referee blows a- with the whistle, thinking that Burrow has stepped out of bounds. Uh, the whistle is blown... I don't know, half a second before the very open Bengals receiver catches the touchdown. And yet, the entire discourse has been about that clearly there was a whistle, that was a mistake, the play should have been dead, and no touchdown should have been allowed. And to that I say, get out of here. Just (laughs) take a walk, because number one, the first thing is that the biggest topic of conversation should be, why is a referee blowing a play dead? (laughs) when he's obviously not out of bounds, number one, and number two, let the play finish and then call him out of bounds, and then we don't have this whole fiasco. But the other aspect is of that there was no chance in this planet that the Raiders defender was going to make a play on that ball and that the whistle actually stopped him from making that play truly a half a second before the receiver caught the pass. It was a touchdown all the way. I'm happy that the refs, after consulting with each other and realizing that they had made a gigantic mistake, (laughs) I am happy that they made the wrong call, but the right play, in that it was a touchdown, it should stand, there was no way that this was going to change, and I'm okay with it, and I don't like the Bengals, and I'm okay with this being the situation with the Bengals, Uh, it has not gone this way in terms of NFL land, with all those referees apparently no longer reffing any playoff games (laughs) for the rest of the season, Uh, it's been like Whistlegate. It's been called Whistlegate, and I'm mad that people are looking at that as opposed to, you know what, they got it right in the end because it was 100% going to be a touchdown the entire time. I, I agree with
4: almost everything you're saying because the whistle doesn't stop it. I don't care if they're like, well, he pulled up a little bit. He wasn't getting near the receiver, the defensive back. That part I completely agree with. It's fine. Bengals win that game. Refs are idiots. Those, those refs should never be allowed to referee uh, a regular season game, not even a playoff game again. And I love listening to Jerome Bogart call his fifth holding of the same drive. But the standard of refereeing across the weekend was, was horrific. This is the prime example, so it's the one we'll focus on. And the thing that drives me crazy, Antonio, it's not so much the errant whistle, which is annoying. It's not so much the discourse around it. It's the fact that the NFL came out after the game and said, oh, no, there was no whistle. You didn't hear that. And Drew Brees, who, my God, a piece of cardboard would have had a better game you know, than Drew Brees did calling that game on Saturday. Just ignored it as well. And they were like, oh, I, I, I there, guess there's no real controversy here. At least Tony would have had something to say. Drew Brees had nothing to say. And after the game, the NFL tries to gaslight everybody <laughs> saying, no, you didn't. You didn't hear that. You didn't hear that whistle. There was no whistle there. It was like, everybody heard the whistle. It it absolutely happened. Just admit a mistake and move on. It's fine. It doesn't affect the play. I'm with you 100% except that point where afterwards they double, triple down and just say, well, those guys aren't going to referee anymore. But that wasn't a mistake. No, you guys didn't hear anything. What are you talking about? You didn't hear any whistles. That's ridiculous. Quickly, just on this game, because I know we got to move to some other games and stuff, and Jace will have his opinion as well. Um, Joe Burrow in big games. Guy, I thought, played pretty well. I don't think he was outstanding by any stretch of the imagination, but this kind of showed the Bengals are a problem. I am getting, and this is pure Ravens fan, I know, the whole look how swaggy Joe Cool is after games, like with these (laughs) FU sunglasses that he's wearing. I'll buy it for now, but I'm also going to laugh hysterically when it comes back to bite him in the butt, because I think it definitely will at some point. Um, And please give Rich Bisaccia that job, uh, that Raiders job. I I don't know why they're like reports of Jim Harbaugh or like them trying to go for some big money signing again. It didn't work with Gruden. You just fired Mayock, who was Gruden's buddy anyway. You cleared house that way. The guys clearly love Bisaccia. They want to play for him. Give that special teams coordinator, like John Harbaugh, by the way, a chance to maybe bring uh, stability to a franchise that hasn't had it in an incredibly long time.
3: Tim, are you saying that Joe Burrow's sunglasses weren't necessary in the famously sunny location of Cincinnati, Ohio in winter?
4: Yeah, I am, I am saying that, yes. <laughs>
3: no, I'm completely with you on, on on that whistle. Yeah, like, I guess it was I, – I, I land on the same place, Antonio, as we kind of talked about, like – it would have been way worse if they had blown that dead and the Bengals like don't score a touchdown there. So in the end, they came to the right decision. But I completely agree with what you said, Tim, the, how they just they literally are doing like alternative facts in the in the post game, And then even crazier to me, like usually the actual referees have to talk. They didn't even have Boger talk to the pool reporter. They had Walt Anderson, the head of officiating (laughs) step in and do the pool interview. And he's yeah. As Tim said, he claims they were like, Oh yeah, there was a whistle, but it came after he caught it. And it's like, you watch every replay and you're like, that is literally just untrue. And so it was just the, the NFL providing like there, you know, it's like you're in the Soviet Union or something like state version of events. <laughs> and you know just like, yeah, it, it's good. It happened. As you said, guys said, it's good. It happened that way. Um, but that doesn't also make it like true what you're saying. Like you still got it wrong, but it, it's fine. But you don't have to lie to us. We all watched it. We all can hear. <laughs> and we know what happened. Um, I heard, it. like, so I saw, I'll admit, I did not get to watch the second half of this game. Um, because we had a great uh, timing for a power outage here uh, on the old uh, block. So I made an emergency trip. Uh, I was, uh, of course, about 20 minutes into my work shift at the time, so I had to make an emergency trip into the office for the first time in about two years. So that was exciting <laughs> um, on my Saturday afternoon. So I did not get to watch the second half, but it sounded like the uh, the refs were a disaster in this game
2: all the way uh, till the end, not just at this uh, particular moment. So, yeah. There was another moment in the game where they and this was an issue, I guess, I don't know, a not very discussed issue until this weekend. And it's the, like, New York can just jump in and save a terrible call without any review necessary. And in theory, you're like, oh, okay, that is good and fixes things and saves time. But then, as we discovered in this game, it's like, well, what is... How responsible are they for fixing problems versus the coach having to challenge it? Where is the line of whose job it is? So there was a New York review on one play, and then on the absolute next play, the Bengals had to throw a challenge flag and then won the challenge. And it was like, well, New York saw that one too, so why didn't they, why didn't they fix that one immediately? So that's sort of a, uh, what is only going to grow into a bigger and bigger problem, where it's, well, why didn't New York review that one too uh, for, for the rest of eternity until they need to fix the review system yet again uh, elsewhere in the NFL? Touched on it, the Bills put absolutely everything together against the Patriots. Buffalo, no punts, no turnovers, no field goals, just a couple of kneel downs and touchdowns everywhere else. Uh, the Bucks and the Eagles, I label this as a snooze fest. Uh, I would say the Eagles were the worst team in the NFC, and they played like the worst <laughs> team in the NFC. Jalen Hurts consistently just missing receivers. Accuracy was a big issue. They'll have to decide... Uh, what they want to do at quarterback moving forward. Quick note to the listener. any noise that you're hearing uh, through your audio right now is just, of course, the classic construction outside of where I live because uh, we got a nice little broken broken pipe, so they got to fix that, so apologies for that noise. Um, elsewhere, San Francisco hangs on and beats Dallas, <laughs> even though neither team wanted to win this for, for long stretches, uh, and then the final two games. Goodbye, Ben Roethlisberger. Chiefs cruise to a home victory in a game that I thought they were trying to lose. They were trying to lose the game, the Chiefs were. They were trying to lose my tease, the Chiefs were, by having a wide receiver run the run option in front of Watt instead of just trying to have their best player and the best player in the league hold the ball. And that led to the Steelers getting points the only way they could, which was defensively. And then finally, Rams-Cardinals Monday night Rams take care of business there. The Cardinals didn't really look like a playoff team. So with that, I turned to my co-hosts, which moments, which games were you most watching or got your uh, your attention this weekend?
4: Um, It's very obvious for me. Uh, New England, ding dong, the witch is dead. Mac Jones is not the answer for you. Your team is bang average. Your defensive, your premier defensive signing was a guy that the Ravens did not care to even enter contract talks with and Matt Judon. And look, I think this was kind of the Bills Super Bowl. We did see another um, object, uh, NC-17 object on the field. Shout out Buffalo. They're going to continue to do their – that's probably my favorite part of Wildcard Weekend, if we're going to be completely honest, just the Bills Mafia being Bills Mafia. This was awesome to watch. I know there's – you know, there are – oh, there were so many blowouts, and should we have this seventh seed because we get bad teams in, we get bad referees? We're not going to have that debate. More football is more football. I'm fine with it, especially – when it involves the New England Patriots getting their S pushed in. And boy, howdy, did Josh Allen have an insane, insane game for the Buffalo Bills. It was just, it was super fun to watch that team get dismantled and Bill Belichick just look miserable in five degree weather. To the other one. Another ding dong, the witch is actually dead. I. It's sad that Ben gets his his last win and Iron Eagle does the four names for him. And, you know, I'll never respect Iron Eagle ever again after that, you know, five-yard pass slant and Benjamin Todd Allen Herbert Roethlisberger Jr. <laughs> uh, for the Ravens. But I take solace in the fact that even Ben Roethlisberger did not want to play in this playoff game. If you don't know the story pregame, he basically goes, I'm going to paraphrase, but it's pretty close to the direct quote. We're going to get our butts kicked. They're a way better football team than us. We're not supposed to be here, so let's go out and have fun. Some people took that as reverse psychology. I took that as Ben just does not want to do this anymore, and it showed on Sunday night. I was cackling at my television watching the Chiefs just embarrass the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, And so, yeah, those are the two that stand out for me. I know the Sam Fran game we can get into a little bit. Maybe we save it for the preview. I think, you know, With Dallas, Jerry Jones coming out and saying afterwards, uh, this team is too talented to not be where, you know, to to be falling at this hurdle. And guess what? You know, we make fun of Jerry Jones a lot for being the GM and, you know, owning the team and all this stuff. He's right. He is absolutely 100% right. This team is too good to be losing in this fashion. Um, I think there's serious questions about Dak Prescott. If he can be a guy that can lead you to a championship, again, where is that level and is he there? I think Mike McCarthy is a clown and, you know, hopefully, you know, might be the end for him too, if if for the Dallas Cowboys and then just quickly, because I I want Jace to do, obviously Jace was in LA. He went to SoFi (laughs) so we can get his breakdown of that game. I think another point with McCarthy with the Eagles as well. I, I wonder for both of these franchises, if this is a hurts now, but good and no pun intended there. It hurts now, but it's good in the long run, because I think the Eagles, if they win this game or they keep this game even close, maybe there's people going, well, Jalen Hurts could probably be the guy. Let's use our three draft picks this year, something you never have, and build around this quarterback. Get support for him. I think this showed he's not that guy. They need to move on. They need to find something, whether it's packaging those draft picks for a Russell Wilson type, whether it's drafting a new guy, maybe signing a a, a temporary free agent and building up until you can make the power move for some star uh, quarterback. But, yeah, I think it proved proved in the long run for both Philly and Dallas, if they make the right moves, that, you know, you kind of have to fall at this hurdle to actually gain some growth, and hopefully that happens for them.
3: The the Bills game, you kind of mentioned it, Tim. Like it felt, did feel like an almost an exorcism to me. Like, uh, like just watching that crowd just go crazy, and it, it felt like they almost were like releasing twenty years of frustration of losing to the Patriots. Especially, you know, I mean, they lost that just bizarre game where Mac Jones threw the ball three times in Buffalo earlier this season, and that seemed to uh, like the you know Bills players were like getting in kind of war of words with the Buffalo media after that one it it was not it seemed like their low point but like to see them just drop the hammer it was crazy and you mentioned josh allen i mean seven touchdowns seven drives for the team he had uh, bill's record five touchdown passes in a playoff game it just stinks how many good young quarterbacks are in the afc that the ravens are going to have to constantly either go through or against if they want to win a super bowl the next 10 years <laughs> with Allen, who's, you know, the same age as Lamar Jackson and uh, Patrick Mahomes is a year older than them. So um, that's annoying. But uh, when it comes to um, some of the other sort of games, uh, you did uh, mention – well, just with the Chiefs, uh, there were texts, Antonio, you alluded to them. Uh, I think we all had some concern at a certain point of, like, are the Steelers doing this? They were getting thoroughly outplayed, uh, and it's 0-0 after 1. Uh, they go up 7 nothing on the Chiefs getting way too cute, and you're like, oh, are they going to do some classic Steelers, you know, bullcrap and pull this one out? And uh, I actually think almost that fumble return was possibly the worst thing that could have happened to the Steelers, because I think it for the Chiefs it, like, was like, okay, we have to stop messing around, like, we're just hammered down, and they score 21 points to close out the half, including just a back, like, back-breaking touchdown uh, with under 20 seconds to go to Travis Kelsey. I don't know how a guy who doesn't run that fast gets that wide open that <laughs> far down the field, but uh, they just kind of dropped the hammer on him, and this was a blowout. I mean, the final stats uh, only look marginally, like, look marginally better. I mean, at one point, in this game, the Chiefs had 399 yards of offense, and the Steelers um, were under 60 still <laughs> at a certain point. Um, and uh, they, you know, they get some garbage time touchdowns to make it look a little prettier. Still, couldn't cover that number, unfortunately for me. We'll get the gambling later, but uh, yeah, it, it was just uh, it was an impressive showing by the Chiefs, and you know, that, those two games set up just a massive. Massive showdown between the Bills and Chiefs next week. One of the probably better divisional games we'll see. Um, You mentioned, Tim, I was at SoFi uh, Stadium uh, Monday night to take in uh, the Cardinals-Rams game. It was my first visit to that new stadium. It's awesome. I will say, Antonio, I think it's cooler than the Raiders stadium we had the the pleasure of going to. Um, But this was a weird... like uh The Rams like almost didn't even seem like they did like that much on offense. Like, <laughs> like Stafford threw the ball seventeen times, had two hundred two yards, didn't have commit any turnovers. They rushed for one hundred and forty. Was not like an overly standout game by the Rams offense in any way. But they were just in such total control of this game basically from the start. And the Cardinals are a mess. I thought this game spoke more to the. To them. I mean, that Kyler Murray interception, I think, was. Positive. Certainly, I haven't been to a ton of NFL games in my life, but that was, I think, easily the worst turnover I've ever witnessed. Uh, <laughs> it was, like, you know, you know, it was one of those you're watching and you're like, oh, safety, and then he's like, throws the ball, and you're like, oh, no. <laughs> As you see it flying through the air to no one in particular, you're like, that could be picked off, and then it
2: is. Uh, or... Jace, flying through the air, that's the very nice words for <laughs> describing the flight of that football. <laughs>
3: Yeah, uh, the shortest, this is a fun stat, the shortest pick six uh, in playoff history, all of three yards. So <laughs> congrats to Kyler Murray for pulling that one off. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so that put them, at that point, that put him in a 21 nothing hole and he got picked off on the next series off of, I believe, a tip ball. It, it, it was, it, they had no real answers for the Rams uh, defensive line. Um, they, you know, back-to-back drives, they had huge sacks uh von miller got him on second down and donald broke through and with uh gains got him on first down and those set those drives back And the rams put some drives together and it was just it was like over like by the halftime it was it was very strange i thought it said more about the cardinals but uh certainly for the rams to staff for stafford to not throw you know four interceptions as he's been doing in recent weeks was certainly a nice step and then Tim, you touched on it, but we I, we have to go deeper into what occurred in Dallas, Texas, on uh, Sunday afternoon. Because for me, this was the game of the playoffs uh, so far. Um, just from a comedy perspective, from a, a, a storylines perspective, it was just a baffling game uh, from more so the fourth quarter. Because the first three quarters of this game were the 49ers just kicking the Dallas Cowboys' butt. Um, and then... At a certain point midway through the fourth quarter, I realized I was in a no lose situation watching this game because I was like, either the 49ers lose and we have Kyle Shanahan blowing a game again, which is funny, or we have the Cowboys losing in horrible fashion, which is funny. And we got perhaps an ending I certainly didn't see coming with the team basically running the ball out of running tie, bleeding the clock out on itself. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it was the, just one of the worst play calls I think I've ever seen in the history of, the, of my time watching the NFL. It, it was so confusing. It was so weird. I, I didn't know what was going on. It was it was a perfect finish to a game no one really wanted to win. The Niners should have sealed it eight times. Jimmy G's awful. <laughs> he should have nearly cost them this game. He misses a wide-open Brandon Ayuk on one drive and throws just an absolutely horrible interception on the next to get the Cowboys immediately back into the game. It was bit, uh, and, uh, yeah, it was just I was thoroughly entertained. And because there's the Dallas Cowboys, they'll be the team people talk about all offseason. But, yeah, you mentioned it. Jerry Jones called it like the most disappointing loss of like his tenure as the Cowboys owner, which, you know, maybe is, you know, a little as you said, right in the immediacy of the moment, but it's hard to argue, like, how just how how flat they were, how awful they looked, that they were then almost presented this miracle comeback opportunity and then threw it away with kind of the mistakes they were making all day. It was it was just a perfect kind of finish to just a a horrible game for them and and then, you know, we could get bored. I want to I'm curious to some of your guys' thoughts on especially you Antonio, but uh yeah, and then afterwards too, they were all like I thought their press conferences were horrible across the board. It was it's an embarrassing day to be for the Cowboys, which means it was a funny day for the rest of us.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, how do I how do I open this? I may have had uh, I've, it's possible that I had financial stakes based on the Cowboys winning this game and covering their three-point spread. And within f- four plays, I texted my two co-hosts here and said, it's nice to know after three plays, four plays, that your decision is is over, basically. that they, You can just tell the 49ers are faster, they're stronger, they're more sophisticated, they look better coached. And that held for... Quarters of this football game, the Cowboys. I, I think the Cowboys had better players than the 49ers, maybe in individual levels. But the Cowboys are a terrible team, they're poorly coached, their offensive play calls were bad, they had penalties everywhere, they had pre snap penalties everywhere. Uh, you can't have a defensive lineman have three different offsides in one game. That's a guy playing individually. Uh, you can't have wide receivers either not blocking or trying to block and then just doing lazy block in the backs that get called. That's a player playing individually. And it was just that all over the place, and it just culminated, Jace. <laughs> so the line was three. Uh, at a certain point, it's a six-point game, which is difficult for for somebody who's interested in the line. But there's a chance, if they score a touchdown, that they miss the extra point. The Cowboys kicker is that Zerline has done that a lot uh, in the regular season. So it was possible. And it just culminated with the, like bad coaching and bad decision-making and bad play on a spectacular run up the middle. <laughs> QB draw with 14 seconds left to gain 15, 20 yards to try to have a Hail Mary. Do you know why teams had never done this before? Because it doesn't work. Because it can't work. Because in reality, things take time. It takes seconds to get players lined up. It takes seconds to spot the ball. And nothing is perfect when everything is rushed and, like, you're trying to figure things out. The defense that the 49ers played on that run was basically just, like, the letter N. Just, like, on the sidelines, into the end zone, and then on the sideline... Guess what? You still have to throw the ball to the sideline. you got to take a chance. You're in... This is the situation anyway. Like, you're behind the eight ball. You need luck and or super skill on this play. Throw it to the sidelines anyway. Throw it to the end zone and try to get a pass interference. The the only thing you cannot do (laughs) is go exactly where the 49ers wanted you to go. (laughs) It's like they funneled you perfectly into the spot of the exact middle of the field... And ended the game. So, it just... Jace, I don't know if you had something else well, to say. Just it was just so par- frustrating. The craziest part to me on that drive, Antonio, was the,
3: the Cowboys... Like, the, I thought the 49ers were, like, playing it poorly to that point. Like, they, they were... They got, like... They just kept giving them, like, 12 yards, like, in, out of bounds when the Cowboys had no timeouts. And I was like... What? I was like, now they're at like midfield with like 30 seconds to go, like 50. I was like, there's, there's time to like get in position here. I what are they doing. And then yeah, and then the Cowboys, as you said, did the one thing they shouldn't have done. <laughs> the ref, the ref run, literally
2: literally runs into Dak
3: Prescott trying to
2: get. And he's the ball. getting flack. The ref like sprinted 30 yards <laughs> to be able to spot the ball, and to, I give him all the credit in the world. It just—it was so cowboys, and it was so perfect. Uh, and they're out, and they deserve to be out. <laughs> and my potential wager went up in flames, but that—that's all right because we—we uh, we did some some good things elsewhere. Uh, let's get away from this because we have some other things to talk about in this episode. So, let's do the random raven, and then we'll preview these uh, divisional round matchups. Jace, you are up this week. So, who do you have for us? Yes.
3: So, uh, since we last recorded, the Georgia Bulldogs. Won the national championship, so we have a Georgia-tinged, uh, themed, uh, random Raven today. This undrafted free agent out of the University of Georgia (laughs) signed with the Ravens ahead of the 2009 season. He spent four years in Baltimore, appearing in 46 regular season games with 14 starts and 10 additional playoff games where he somehow started in seven of those. (laughs) His numbers, his first three seasons in Baltimore, were extremely modest. He had one interception, one sack, one fumble recovery, and 73 individual tackles spread out over those three seasons. He had a breakout 2012 season, however, putting up four and a half sacks, a forced fumble, and 69 solo tackles. He also started all four playoff games for the Ravens in their Super Bowl run and had 25 solo tackles and a crucial interception of Tom Brady in the AFC Championship game that year. Clue five: Like many Ravens defenders before him, this player parlayed that season and run into a five-year, $35 million deal with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, he spent just two years in Miami, however, before he was uh, moved on to the Saints, where he spent two more seasons, and then finally to the Eagles in 2017 where he picked up a second ring before his uh, NFL career
2: came to a close. It's a fantastic one. I've been, like, off the last few weeks, so I'm feeling happy that I finally uh, have a name (laughs) that came pretty instantly because he was just the definition of played okay, got that big deal, and left. Like, it's in the Ravens encyclopedia of, like, that kind of player.
4: Uh Jace, I, I blacked out during that last clue trying to think of who this guy was. Did you give a number or no? If you didn't, don't worry. <laughs>
3: I did not, but I have it actually as a bonus clue uh, for okay. later. All I right. can I'm go about, and we hit it on the I, back end.
4: That's fine, because, yeah, I'm, I'm at a complete loss,
2: but yeah, that's why we have two of us doing it. <laughs> all right, we'll have Jace go over those clues again at the end of the show, but let's get into the divisional round. Four matchups here that are all pretty good and all pretty close uh, three of the four spreads are under four points uh, and the last one at six points is Still very difficult to handicap, but let's start with the AFC The Titans will host the Bengals and they are three and a half point favorites in that game And then the Chiefs will be hosting the Bills the Chiefs of two and a half point favorites uh, for the Titans I haven't seen anything, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but there's, like, the potential of the return of Derrick Henry, or maybe not, definitely not, maybe yes, we'll see. He <laughs> would be a big, obviously a gigantic factor for this game. Um, so for that one, I'll have a question for each each for these games for you guys. Can the Bengals pull an upset, maybe, you know, spread aside, can the Bengals pull an upset after what we've seen from them so far in the postseason? And then for this Chiefs-Bills game, it just doesn't seem fair uh, that this isn't the AFC championship game after what we saw from both the Chiefs and the Bills. So for that, should the over for Chiefs-Bills be 80 points, guys? Uh, <laughs> thoughts on uh, the two AFC matchups? I mean, Chiefs-Bills is going to be a sensational game. I do worry a little, um,
3: I forget which one of you said it, about uh, that game being, uh, against the Patriots, being the Bills' Super Bowl, because uh, I think there is potential for that. Um it's just so hard. We saw this game earlier in the season. The Bills won fairly handily at uh, Arrowhead Stadium earlier this year. But it was earlier in the season during the what's wrong with the Chiefs uh, phase of the the NFL season. and uh, I, I think they've certainly come into form. And I don't know if it'll be that easy for the Bills a second time. But, you know, certainly no team played better Wild Card Weekend than the Bills, so it's hard to say they're not at the top of their game right now. So that, it, it's just such an exciting matchup for that, uh, but as you said, kind of with the the Titans um, <laughs> game is so hard because the Titans are just, like, a confusing team in general. Like, they're, like, one of the stranger one-seeds we've had. They're a one-seed who, like, best player hasn't played in <laughs> three months, as you said, and his availability strange, so um, this is, this is a Saturday game, which makes a lot of sense. It's a Titans Bengals, probably not the hot, most uh, going to be the most viewed NFL playoff game ever, but I think this one has potential to be good, and I do think the Bengals um, could pull off an upset just because you know Tannehill's had some weird games this year, um, and if you know Henry's not back or if he's asked to kind of shoulder the load. Uh, but it's fascinating because, like, you know, what the Titans do best on defense is their defensive line's great and the Bengals' offensive line's still not very good. So it's got to be a real battle kind of, I, I think, uh, a real fascinating one. I think certainly head coaching-wise, I think you have to give the nod to Mike Vrabel. I think we just have more proof of concept of him being a good coach at this point than Zach Taylor. Um, but that, that'll that be a, a really fascinating game, um, especially given that even no matter how good uh, – Bill's Chiefs is if the Titans win the AFC title games in Nashville next uh, the following week. So um, I'm very excited about these games. I think it's there's two great matchups and probably you know obviously it's the top four seeds. So it kind of <laughs> the playoffs as we said are playing out how they're supposed to. But um, uh, yeah, I, I think both games could be great, and I think the fun parts either team could win. Really, it just kind of depends who plays their best game.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think with the Titans, too, the one thing that we always do from a gambling perspective is we always forget about the that one seed because they had the bye because you didn't see them play the previous week. And I don't know. The Titans are the one seed for a reason. I mean, you say, yeah, the Chiefs-Bills should be the AFC championship game, but it's not because neither of them could overcome Tennessee uh, without Derrick Henry, and it's a credit, as much as it pains me to say, a credit to the job that they've done. Derrick Henry's coming back, it looks like. I don't think every a lot of people are like fully healthy. Derrick Henry he's going to be back better than ever. I think there's something to be said for having a little bit of game rust. Um, but I. Something about another and I mentioned it with the Bills with the Super Bowl thing, but the Bengals getting that first playoff win, too. I know Joe Joey B is a winner, but there's something to be said of coming off that high. The Titans have been here before. They'll be ready for it. It'll be close. And yeah. Um, you know, I'll just do my picks now to speed things up. I'm doing Titans minus three and a half. I flipped on it, um, but something <laughs> about that. We haven't seen them. We haven't seen them yet, and I think we're forgetting that they're the one seed for a reason. For Chiefs, Bills, this is a toss-up. I mean, yeah, I, I, if I'm Antonio, I, I think Antonio's right. Just slam the over. Just do that Like and have fun with that because these two teams – I think, the, I think the Bills won't have as much of a letdown seeing as they got embarrassed by the Chiefs last year in the AFC title game. So I think they'll have something to say and be prepared for this Arrowhead crowd and what have you. But I got to take Chiefs minus two and a half. I just I, I trust that team more. And I'm a little bit more nervous about any sort of fall off that the Bills could have because they, they effectively played a a must-win game for them. If they would have lost to the Patriots in the playoffs, I don't know if mentally they would have been able to shake that off.
3: Fun stat, the only uh, team Patrick Mahomes, or the only, not even team, uh, Patrick Mahomes has not lost a playoff game versus every other QB not named Tom Brady. He's 0-2 against Tom Brady, uh, has not lost a playoff game to anyone else. So uh, Josh Allen is not named Tom Brady, <laughs> so so that's one to file away.
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that Chiefs-Bills pick i think is the hardest um as you guys have both mentioned but the bills the wins this season dolphins washington texans that chiefs game that nobody can explain i guess people can explain it but dolphins again jets saints panthers pats falcons jets it's not a good (laughs) list that team went 11 and 6 i think they had that peak perfect game and we've seen it before where this one a team has an unbelievable performance they seem unstoppable and then they run into a real football team and i think a big part of that bills game was the patriots just not being very good and the game getting away from them and then the game was you know over from there chiefs are very good chiefs are at home uh i like that the line is less than a field goal i guess that you can get chiefs at less than a field goal if you get an overtime game or something like that but it is definitely going to be close all the way. If either team goes up 14, that's going to mean nothing uh, because both of these offenses can put points up uh, in a hurry. As for Titans-Bengals, I'm going to talk about them at the very end because I'm not taking this line as it is, but I'm going to mix it up uh, in a tease where I think there's some opportunity. But let's look at the NFC now with the Bucks hosting the Rams. Bucks are three-point favorites. And the Packers with thereby hosting the 49ers. Packers are six-point favorites for the Bucks, guys. It's Brady versus Stafford, which is lots of playoff wins against his first playoff win uh, last week for Stafford. But really, is it more about the Bucks' O-line health uh, versus the Rams' defensive line, which is terrible. They're just scary to watch at home. I am afraid of the players and the attitude of the Rams' defensive line, going up against the bucks who uh jace is it the right tackle is worses the right tackle the is left? the right, yeah, the right tackle, tackle. tackle and
3: yeah he did not look in great shakes uh, in uh sunday's game he came back briefly and kind of seemingly could not really walk <laughs> so yeah uh,
2: Worf's, um, uh
3: who knows if he's going to be there yeah
2: so what do you guys what do you guys think of that matchup and then the packers 6 point favorites is that an easy bet for the best team in the NFC or are the 49ers now terrifying after having seen uh, what they can do running the ball?
4: I'll just go quickly here. Um, Brady versus Stafford is, is the story for me. I'm sorry. (laughs) Brady, Brady had his chance to warm up against as, as Antonio so correctly pointed out the worst team probably in the playoffs, uh, at least in the NFC, because it wasn't the Steelers. Uh, And I think they, they're going to go in. The bucks are going to be the home team here. And the Rams had their big game. Yes, Aaron Donald is terrifying. Yes, Leonard Floyd and company are terrifying. But Bucks minus three, I think, and just that experience, um, it, it conquers it for me. And Stafford looked really good. Credit to him. But usually that follows with not such a great performance or some backbreaking turnovers, what have you. That, you know, Tampa's defense isn't what it was, but maybe we could see them bounce back a little bit here. I just. It's, it, this is a gut call. I, just think, I don't think the Rams show up twice in a row, and I think the Bucks have that consistency, and you know, Tom Brady at quarterback. So I'm going Bucks minus three. I preface this entire preview section with, hey, we haven't seen them play yet, so maybe it's recency bias and stuff, but something tells me that the 49ers will travel. The 49ers' style of play will travel. And I don't think they win, and this is a dangerous line to be on, <laughs> but I don't think they lose by six something about this team. I know Matt LaFleur has come out and said the reason we played against the Lions, like played some guys against the Lions most of the time is cuz we didn't want any rust. Didn't want to have 3 weeks off. I think they're prepared for this. They know how to deal with being the excuse me, being the one seed. And I still think the Packers are the team to beat in this entire league in this entire playoff race. But I think the 49ers keep this close enough where it's it's under a 6-point game. Um, and because that run game and the Packers run defense isn't as bad as it used to be, but it still ain't great. And, you know, Debo could have a day. Let's just put it that way. So I'm going 49ers plus six. But if you wanted to, if you wanted to hedge that, maybe you do Packers money line or something as well. Cause I think the Packers win.
3: I just, the way they closed that game, Tim, just scared me so much though, yeah, with the 49ers. True. They look so good. They, they literally look like they were clearly, I mean, for 3 quarters they were clearly the better team. They were just as you said, beating them up and down uh, the field, but I feel like Shanahan was weird weirdly conservative. I thought he should have gone for it on fourth down a few times, especially early in the game. They kick a field goal to make it 13 to nothing. I thought they should have gone for it there cuz you could maybe, you know, go up 17 to nothing and really put kind of put put the put the pressure on at that point in the second quarter, I believe that was. But um Uh, what scares me more than anything is just Jimmy G. His thumb, you know, he has had this recent thumb surgery of some type, kind of seemed like he reconstructed his thumb mid-season. He had that awful interception, and it was just so bad. And I, I think... I don't know. I worry with Jimmy G mostly. It's going to be cold as hell in Wisconsin. On set- it's a 7.15 PM kickoff. Uh, I just looked up the temperature. It's projected a high of 23, a low of one, uh, on Saturday night. So, um, you know, that, to me, seems like it'll be a pretty cold one. One of the colder games in Packers history it's shaping up to be. And, I, I, you know, I don't know that that necessarily gives an advantage to the Packers because their quarterback's, you know, 38 years old, and I don't know how well he plays in the cold. He's from California <laughs> as well, even though, you know, Rogers has his good cold stats, but that's, you know, who knows. But um, you know, when it's that cold, I don't know that it helps anyone. But, um. Yeah, I just, I just worry about Jimmy G, mostly, in that environment. And similar, to actually, to what you had said, uh, I do think some people are forgetting about the Packers, because, you know, you don't see them, and you, 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 you do watch the Bucs uh, dominate and the Rams dominate. Um, so I'm picking the Packers minus six there. Um, and and um, I guess when it comes to the Bucks, if you wanted me to dive into the Bucks pick... Um, I will also pick the Bucks at minus three. Um, I do think, Antonio, the line is going to be a big question mark, especially because uh, once Wirfs got injured, I believe it was three straight drives the Eagles ended for the Bucks with sacks of Brady. Uh, and he was like the least sack QB in the NFL this year. And the Rams defensive line is better than the Eagles defensive line. I mean, I love like a lot of the Eagles defensive line. Fletcher Cox has been a tank for... Uh, a decade for them, but uh, he's not as good as Aaron Donald um, and, and Donald Donald's crazy to watch uh, in, in person and otherwise. Uh, he's always seemingly getting in fights, too. He's nasty. <laughs> uh, so that will, I think, be a real problem for them. Worfs was an all pro, I believe, this year. So if he's not back, that is going to be a problem. But at the end of the day, I do lean just Tom Brady. Uh, and the Bucks defense looked awesome. Uh, they got you know Levante David back, and Devin White was flying all over the field. They got some of their safeties back who were hurt or kind of earlier in the year, um, and some of their D linemen. They they looked really good on defense. And I think in their plays with Tom Brady, I still think they can find a way to get it done um, against the Rams. Um, and and, and Staff, Stafford's got to serve up some picks. I think <laughs> Tim said it well. So there. And if I didn't say. Uh, I'm just staying away from the Bengals-Titans uh, game in terms of gambling because uh, who knows with that. Um, I could see the Bengals winning that game. Uh, but Chiefs at home, minus two until someone knocks them off. I think you have to kind of just roll with the Chiefs until proven otherwise. So Chiefs are my final pick.
2: For Bucks rams uh, yeah, Brady versus Stafford is the first thing to say uh, <laughs> that I like in terms of picking the Bucks. The other thing is, even though the Rams' defensive line will be a gigantic problem in this game, the only thing I think Tom Brady is prepping this week is getting the ball out of his hands in three seconds or less. The Rams' secondary is beat up. Eric Weddle is on the Rams, which we haven't talked about. He hasn't played football in years, plural. They needed him to, to fill out the, the depth of their secondary. So I just think this entire game for the Bucks offensively is going to be snap- out, snap out and neutralize the Rams, rush, uh, and take advantage of their weakness in the secondary. And who better in the history of the NFL than Tom Brady to do that exact thing. So uh, I like the Bucks at minus three. And as for this Packers 49ers game, talking about it reminded me yet of something else that was stupid in that <laughs> Cowboys game. <laughs> oh my gosh. Dallas won the toss and deferred. And they let the 49ers get the ball first. The 49ers are the definition of the team that up seven, they're a different team than they are down seven. So why would you give them the ball first to score and take a lead and do everything that they want to do, rather than get the ball first, try to score and put pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo to make turnovers? It's so. It seems so simple, uh, and yet it's it gets very complicated. I don't think the Packers make these types of mistakes. Uh, I think six points is a lot, so I'm not taking the Packers at minus six, but I am going to put them in a tease. And this is what I mentioned a little bit with the AFC. So the just straight picks are Bucks minus three, Chiefs minus two and a half. But the tease is what I'm what I'm really intrigued by here because I'm taking the Bengals at plus nine and a half. I'm moving that six points to plus nine and a half. Either they're going to be up in this game, and then you're set with that line or they're going to be behind with the best receiving core in the NFL. Uh, and there's so much potential for the garbage time touchdown with that offense to cut that line down from 9.5. So Bengals at plus 9.5. I'm moving the Bucks to plus 3 because I like them so much. I'm taking them two different ways. And then the Packers, I'm moving that line down to even because I think they take care of business at home with weeks to prepare with a healthy Aaron Rodgers uh, and I'm very into that tease. And 3-0 and last week to speak up week one of the playoffs. So we're going to keep that rolling and be 6-0 and at the end of this week. So those are uh, all, of our, all of our picks. So the last thing to do here is to go over the random Raven one more time.
3: All right. And I'll throw in the bonus clue I had as well. Um, so clue number one, this undrafted free agent out of the University of Georgia signed with the Ravens ahead of the 2009 season. He spent four years in Baltimore, appearing in 46 regular season games with 14 starts and 10 additional playoff games, wherein he somehow earned seven starts. His numbers his first three seasons in Baltimore were extremely modest. He had one interception, one sack, and one fumble recovery and 73 individual tackles spread out over those three seasons. He had a breakout 2012 season, however, putting up four and a half sacks, a forced fumble, and 69 solo tackles. He also started all four playoff games for the Ravens in their Super Bowl run and had 25 solo tackles and a crucial interception of Tom Brady in the AFC Championship game uh, during that run. And then clue number five, like many Ravens defenders before him, this player played that, parlayed that season and run into a five-year, $35 million deal with the Dolphins, but he spent just two years in Miami before moving on to the Saints, where he spent two more years, and finally moved on to the Eagles in 2017, where he picked up a second Super Bowl ring before his career came to a close. And then the bonus clue, his number 59 was worn for four defensive snaps this season by Ravens fifth-round pick Daylon Hayes.
4: Oh, uh, wow. He was on that Eagles team. <laughs> I, you know, I thought this guy had a better career than what you mentioned. Now, I know the 59 did it for me. I mean, Antonio, you can go because you, you obviously had it before me. But, yeah, the, the fact that – I don't know. I thought he was way better than, than we're giving him credit for, but maybe it is more of a – Who's better, Josh Bynes or this guy? You know what I mean? Like, I think they're probably on the same level. But, yeah, go ahead, Anthony.
2: 35 mil, Jace, from the Dolphins? <laughs> Five years, 35 With, the, mil. with those numbers? Oh, That's boy. That's insane. Uh... Yeah, I remember that interception in the Pats game because this guy had, like, also a, either a broken hand or a broken wrist while making said interception. Uh, that's Danell Ellerby. It is Danelle Legendary. Ellerby. Legendary Denell Ellerby. A guy I'm frankly shocked wasn't on this list. I checked
3: it three times. I read our ever growing Random Ravens list because I was certain he would have had to come up in the, you know, in three seasons now we've done this show but uh um no yeah Ellerbee, uh, <laughs> i was i was similarly stunned i thought he had more production than he did <laughs> um, certainly uh but it was so we must classic. just
4: remember the super bowl run I mean, that's yeah, and be I what think it's it is, that's, I that
3: that yeah. season was his clear his clear standout. He has the four and a half. He he basically like quadruples all his numbers across across every season during that run. Uh, so it makes sense. And then yeah, just classic. Uh, I found a very funny uh, NFL.com article, just a short news write up Greg Rosenthal did, um, but about like how like. It was sad because they mentioned how they traded Anquan Bolden with the hopes to re-sign some younger players, including guys like Danelle Ellerbe, and then they didn't re-sign him. And I was just like,
2: wow, what a, what a time. What a time to be alive.
4: Nine-year I mean, NFL career.
2: Right. It's like, good for Danelle Ellerby. Yeah. Two rings, big deal. Good for the Ravens to just sort of, uh, maybe in that particular instance, just sort of try to move on. <laughs> kind of walk players. away from it. <laughs> Uh, that's a fantastic choice, Jace. Um, that's going to do it for us this week. We will be back next week to talk about all of the results uh, of the divisional round matchups and, and get into the uh, conference championship games. We'll include a little bit of Ravens uh, Ravens news or, or stuff to talk about, um, and we'll, we'll be back. So for Jace Evans and Tim Horsey, I am Antonio Barbera. Thank you so much for listening to us on Pod Like a Raven. We will see you next week.